O oh, today that you would hear his voice and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. A reading from Psalm 13. These are God's words. For the choir director, a psalm of David. How long, O Yahweh, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Look and answer me, O Yahweh, my God. Give light to my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have overcome him. And my adversaries rejoice that I am shaken. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh when he has dealt bountifully with me. These are God's words. You can take your seats. This psalm is another prayer of David, asking God to help him in a time of trouble. It is a very personal psalm. Though we are not told what situation David was in when writing this song, it was written with a specific situation in mind, and his request for help was personal. He is essentially asking God, Lord, at this time, would you do this for me? Along with this, David expresses his current emotional state in the lyrics. We see this in verse 2. It says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? So how are we to sing sentences like this this morning? Our experiences were very different than David's this week. None of us had sorrow all the day long because our enemies wanted us dead. This is a psalm of David, as the title says, not a psalm of a happy bushman whose hardest struggle this week was trying to find enough sleep. If I or any of you were to write a psalm to God from our experiences this week, it would not be this one. So how can this specific psalm of David be ours today? How can we sing it in, a spirit, in spirit and in truth? The first answer I'd give to these questions is that the Bible says it is right and good for us to sing all the psalms, whether we can relate to this, the experiences of the psalmist or not. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with gratefulness in your heart to God. So we are commanded to sing psalms. But there is also the benefit of a teaching aspect to the psalms. They cause the word of Christ to dwell within us richly. Singing David's experiences places the word of Christ in our mouths, and it causes us to think his thoughts after him. We learn what a man after God's own heart is supposed to sing in various situations. We sing all the psalms so that we are armed with a God-inspired psalm book. Part of the reason we sing psalms is for preparation, and we've mentioned this before at small group, um, to have a fitting song ready for when our experiences line up with David's. It may be the Lord's will that one day our lives will be in danger because of wicked men. When psalms like this one are dwelling in us richly, 
Our minds can draw from them so that our requests for help are mature, fitting, and pleasing to the Lord. But in saying this, I don't want to undermine the mystery of congregational psalm singing. We may never, as individuals, share similar experiences to the one expressed in this particular psalm. This is a psalm of David, but the title also states that it was for the choir master, so it is to be sung congregationally. At any point in time, each member, experiencing different struggles or victories in life, will relate more or less to a psalm than the other members in a congregation. Nevertheless, God commands us to sing them together anyway. One reason we are to do this together is that they have a spiritual effect that is not necessarily known to us individually as we sing them. What do I mean? Psalms are not merely personal addresses from each individual church member to God. It is true that we have the individual responsibility to direct them to God in church, but as we do, they are not just about God and us. We also speak them to one another, and through this, we are filled with the Spirit. Now, I think many in the church have missed this reality and do not understand the potency of congregational psalm singing. We sing these psalms in obedience to God, and connected to this obedience is also a mystical work that God does by his Spirit. The parallel verse to Coloss the Colossians passage that we just read is Ephesians 5, 18 to 19, and it says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. There is a filling with the Spirit that God does when we obey his command to sing psalms. There is a blessing, a spiritual impartation that happens when we sing what God has told us to sing. Can I tell you exactly what that is? No. Can I tell you some of what it is? Yes, the words themselves are encouraging to us at times. They give us hope and remind us of God's faithfulness. They assure us that God is in control and that he will win in time. But is this all that psalm singing does? As we reflect upon the particular psalm that we're considering this Lord's Day, we must believe that the words given to us have spiritual significance and power beyond what our minds can comprehend. Otherwise, shouldn't we just trim the lyrics of every psalm so that every word makes sense to us in our situation? I believe this is why many churches have ditched the psalms altogether or just pick out little favorable snippets to sing. It's because they think the bulk of their content is irrelevant. Why sing David's songs when they are not our songs, they say. So why should we sing David's songs? Because God wants us to sing David's songs. God knows the significance of the particular words that we sing. They may apply in ways we do not know. In fact, since we as individuals are always growing in understanding, the church being made up of many members at different levels of maturity, of necessity, must sing together at different levels of understanding. We know from Psalm 8 that out of the mouth of babes he has ordained strength. Do our little ones understand all that we sing in the Psalms? No. But there is intangible strength in their praises. 
The Spirit works through psalm singing whether we totally understand or comprehend their value. So how does this apply to us? When you sing the psalms, if you feel detached from David's experience or really can't see an application to yourself, don't worry about it too much. Understand that you're being obedient regardless and that there is spiritual significance in just singing God's words as they are given to you. This is not to say that you shouldn't try to understand the words that you are singing and consider how they might apply to you. That is what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to increase your understanding of the psalm so that when we go to sing these songs, we know how they apply to ourselves. But without knowing exactly how the words of the psalms apply to you, know that you can sing them faithfully. So that is my first answer to, to the question, how can this psalm be ours today? In summary, any psalm we sing doesn't have to line up with your current experience or situation for it to be ours and for us to sing it faithfully. God wants us to sing psalms for various reasons, and one of those reasons is to give both tangible and intangible blessings to the church. So the second way that this particular psalm can be ours today is by applying it beyond its original context. Since this song about a man's individual experience is supposed to be sung corporately, God invites us to apply it to ourselves broadly and to a variety of situations. I just argue that we can sing it without knowing how it applies to ourselves. But now I'm going to argue that if we interpret it carefully, it can and should be applied to more than just David's situation. There is a tendency in some theological streams to limit the application of a passage to its original context. If I'm being charitable to those people, there is something commendable to this approach. We know that for every passage, men and women have made plenty of wild applications, so we must have some way of avoiding the error of over-applying or misapplying a text. If we, allow, if we are allowed to apply a passage beyond the original context, the breaks have to be applied at some point. Nevertheless, we can't leave the application of Psalm 13 or any other psalm back in its 1000 BC context. The psalms were given to the church to be sung throughout all history. In 10,000 AD, if the Lord hasn't returned by then, the Lord will be singing the same Psalm 13 we are singing today, likely with a much better musical arrangement. Therefore, the church now and in 10,000 AD must be able to apply Psalm 13 to our various experiences. So how can this be? Let's read the first two verses again to see this. How long, O Yahweh, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? The general confusion that David feels here is common to us all. It can feel at times as though God has forgotten our situation, that he is not hearing our prayers and has left us to the troubling counsel of our own souls. When we are left to despair in our own counsel, it can seem as though our chief enemy Satan has the upper hand. We are tempted to find other resolutions to our problems, sinful shortcuts. And when our minds go to these places, it can seem like the enemy has won. We've experienced a defeat. 
Though David has none of our applications in mind, or he had none of our applications in mind when he gave us these particular words, they are for the faithful woman struggling with infertility. They are words for the man or woman who in prayer is longing to be married. They are for the person that can't see a way out of his financial troubles. How long, O Yahweh, will you forget me forever? But we have to be careful. Not all struggles are the same in degree, and we have to keep this in mind. David's despair was proportionate to his struggles. In his commentary on this psalm, Calvin points out where the breaks need to be applied in our application by showing us how the cowardly and effeminate, which is his words, are too, look, are too quick to fall into despair. By asking, how long will you forget me forever? Quoting Calvin now, David does not complain of a calamity of a few days, duration, as the effeminate and the cowardly are accustomed to do, who see only what is before their feet and immediately succumb to the first assault. He teaches us, therefore, by his example, to stretch our view as far as possible into the future, that our present grief may not entirely deprive us of hope. End of quote. We shouldn't be crying, how long, O Lord, the first time we fail our driver's license. But even when we are, f are waiting on the Lord for more serious answers to prayer, we need to temper our requests appropriately. In his commentary, Calvin agreed that it is right for us to have our own troubles in mind when we sing David's psalm, but he also made sure that we do not ignore the differences between ourselves and David. Our feelings of despair should be proportionate to our struggles. So I've just argued that we can and should apply this psalm personally and yet carefully. But I also want to show that we can apply this psalm in a more general way to the enemies of God and our culture as well. The enemies of God's people are various, and it is right for us to, to ask God how long will he put up with them. The enemies of God and his church are currently exalting themselves over us since our influence has all but disappeared in our culture. Our culture was not what David had in mind when he wrote this psalm. He didn't even have his own culture in mind. He was troubled by a personal enemy that, or personal enemies that were going to kill him. Even so, I believe it is right for us to apply this passage this far. God has not put all his enemies under his feet yet. And the boasting of our enemies can cause us as Christians to despair. For example, doesn't the shameless destruction of the unborn in our culture trouble you? Does it make you wonder how God can tolerate it? We need fitting songs of despair that express our desire for God to act at times like this. I don't think it is a stretch to apply this psalm to the enemies of God who are shamelessly killing the unborn today. Consider the martyred saints in the book of Revelation, how they cried from heaven with a loud voice, saying, how long, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, will you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Revelation 6.10. In the same way, the voice of the aborted children's blood cries out from the ground. How long will you 
not judge and avenge our blood, millions of babies. We too should cry out with them, how long will you put up with this God? But what sort of attitude should we have when we ask God how long? Do we ask as though we are disappointed in his inactivity? No. We ask him to act while having faith in his timing. We know God will demonstrate his wrath and make his power known. But since he is waiting, we know that there is purpose in his waiting. Romans 9 says that he endures with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. When we ask God how long, we do so believing that God is patient and wise. We ask God how, how long because we want him to act now. Because from our perspective, that is what we believe should happen. But at the same time, we ought not to question his wise timing. David expresses this kind of faith, a faith in God's timing at the end of the psalm in verses 5 and 6. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to Yahweh when he has dealt bountifully with me. He declares with certainty that his heart will one day rejoice in God's salvation before he has received the salvation. The sense of the Hebrew is that David knows he will sing to Yahweh when God has dealt bountifully with him. Remember that David would have composed the psalm from start to finish at one time. And the song is not a long song. So he didn't change his mind about God in the few minutes that it took him to finish the song. Both the questioning of God's timing and his later confidence in God's willingness to act are expressions of a coherent faith. These two things pair together well without contradiction. We too can and should ask God in faith how long while affirming that he will act in his good time. So let's sing the psalm now together. Psalm 13 to the tune of Come Thou Long Expected Jesus. So oh. 